Yeah, and I I always sat there looking at people who like now or they're like I used to do this and now I do this and I was like how in the world do you do that? Uh, and obviously, like I I went through like the formal process of doing it, so it's not like it's like oh yeah, and I started my like photography business and now I'm a wedding photographer full time, but it it is interesting and I I think. Again, teaching is one of those realms that like you can end up in so many different spots that who knows where it takes me. It might not even be in a classroom someday, but. Welcome to Cross Pollination. We're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. What happens when you need to creatively reinvent what you do for work? This is the second in a two-part episode on reinventing careers in the oil and gas industry and on reinvention more broadly. Given that very few of us can anticipate spending our careers with the same company or even in the same line of work anymore, it's fast becoming an essential skill. What isn't completely clear is always how you can do that. It's not likely something most of us learned at school or anywhere else, and it takes a new set of skills that can often be acquired and practiced. Reinvention is what Carl, Natalie, and Clark, who all live in Alberta, Canada, have chosen to do. They worked as an engineer, administrator, and electrician, respectively, in the oil and gas industry. Now they're a teacher, an assistant hiking guide with an outdoor adventure company, and the owner of a solar electric and LED installation business. Carl is also host of the awesome Fourth Line Hockey Podcast, also on the Alberta Podcast Network. In many ways, they've been career innovators and cross-pollinators in reinventing what they do and drawing on new and previous skills and talents to create new lines of work. In part one, they told us about their previous careers, what they do now, and a bit about how they got into their new jobs. In part two, they'll look more at the ingredients that went into their transitions, what can sometimes hold people back, and what their transitions can tell the rest of us. When I started, I had zero intention of ever switching. Uh, I was like, this is what I'm doing. And uh, I think like maybe part of it was, and this isn't the entire reason of why I started, but like my dad also uh, an engineer and has been his entire life. And he's, he's definitely changed around the areas he's worked in. He hasn't stayed with the same company, but um, I never, I never got into that to, to leave. Cause it's not like there's a ton of super transferable. Like I said, I tried to do that, but like if you get into like finance or you have a business degree, like that can take you all kinds of places, but there's not a lot of people who are like, I'm going to hire this engineer to like do my books for me. That's not a that's not really a thing that they they would do. So um yeah, it was just kind of that's what that's what I would do. Never thought about it until obviously I did, and now I'm like I, I definitely feared a little bit that like I'd open Pandora's box. So I was like, well if I don't like teaching, maybe I'll do something else. Uh which that pushed the envelope a little too far, I think. So no one was paying me there to help other people be good people. And now I, I think that's certainly a huge part of being a teacher so for me uh, how could i say that i would not have stayed in the energy sector you know i felt trapped it was like i called it a golden prison beautiful comfortable benefits everything but i was not happy like inside me was just just i couldn't be truly who i wanted to be right so as much as it was good for me at the time uh, if I had to go back it'd be quite difficult you know I've changed job many times I would I would I just uh, yeah it's a new it's a new chapter definitely yeah. I'm happy for it and I 
I'm just happy also that my husband's supportive and that we can go ahead with, you know, making plans that way. Yeah, it was way so cold and, and oh, have you ever tried packing there? Um, okay, everything's explosion proof. So you, you have to mix this epoxy and pour it into all your joints and seals and make sure it's all, and you got to have it at a certain temperature for it to even set right. And when you, oh, your fingers are so cold and everything's so cold. Yeah, no, I knew I wasn't going to be up there forever because that's just, it was just crazy. So one ingredient right away for two of these three guests is knowing they wouldn't necessarily stay in the oil and gas careers they were in forever, and maybe having it in the back of their minds from way back through the idea that they might change careers. They enjoyed the work they did, and it offered a lot of benefits, but there were also other things they wanted to do, or other reasons they had to reinvent what they did for a living. Yeah, and I've changed jobs back in Europe before that, right, quite a few times, and worked in different companies that um, had different... Um, you know, purposes, <laughs> let's say, before the oil and gas or the energy sector here. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, well, you emigrate somewhere and you uh, you reinvent yourself as well, right? You just start new and uh, you, uh, you just adapt to what comes your way and uh, you learn to make the best of it. It's interesting because Canada has had a lot of people that actually emigrated only maybe 100 years ago, 150 years ago, you know, two, three generations, not not that many. And their parents or their grandparents had to adapt and be flexible for change, and, and it's been amazing for them. Like, it's in our human nature to be scared of change, for sure. Uh, I've seen that working with people that were uh, in the same company for 30 years, and we moved from downtown to a different office. That was very scary for them, and a lot of them just ended up taking the exit door retirement at the time for a lot of them because they had been there for so long and uh yeah i've seen i've seen the, the hard times some people have had with change yeah learning to uh, live with change too and adapt to change mm-hmm, definitely one thing that came out of all this was like i was a very uh before taking the change i was like very safe i would always make the safest decision and quitting your job and change like leaving a stable solid job voluntarily and doing something different uh not the safe route anymore so that kind of helped a lot with that and so you know looking at that kind of seeing you know money wise we instead of taking out student loans we decided to sell our house and uh and so did that and rented and so uh we moved in the middle of it and then moved again when i finished um, we did, you know, talking to friends and talking with family and getting their opinions and thoughts and things like that. Um, just really looking at all of these things and, you know, what if I don't like it? And definitely as you're, as going through it, it's like, you know, there's every job's going to have a tough day and being able to determine, is this a bad day? That's just a bad day. Or is this something that I don't? enjoy and it's something that like i can't handle moving forward and so like evaluating that as i went through it too this episode of cross-pollination is brought to you by inventures a chance to connect with the best and brightest in global innovation join 4,000 plus creative curious minds on the frontier of innovation and hear more than 250 speakers on six program tracks including innovation of work 
InVentures connects entrepreneurs and startups with venture capital, angel investors, service providers, and thought leaders. The conference includes an education track for students, too. Alberta Innovates is making all of this possible in Calgary, June 3rd to June 5th. Tickets are $3.99 before the end of April. And if you're a student, you can get a ticket for $1.99. Get your tickets today at InventuresCanada.com. That's I-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, InventuresCanada.com. couple more ingredients these reinventors had to make their changes. They had a mindset that it was possible for them to change, possible to do something quite different than what they did before. To be comfortable, as Natalie said, with the idea of making a change, which sometimes takes a while to happen. For Natalie, she had confidence in her ability to do this, partly thanks to previous experience in changing her work in the past and from having changed her entire life in immigrating to a new country. For Carl, deciding to make a career change enabled him to develop another internal skill, becoming more comfortable with taking calculated risks, another key ingredient. It's part of what Natalie talked about in being comfortable with the idea of change and adaptation, and maybe even uncertainty. Neither Carl nor Natalie nor Clark were fixed either in their ideas of themselves as engineers, corporate office employees, or conventional electricians. They believed that it was possible to make a change in their careers and that they could redevelop their professional identities by exploring in a smart way and taking calculated risks. They weren't rigid about who they were, which is sometimes also a process that happens over time, especially when someone has invested a lot in developing a certain career path. It can be hard to leave. Carl talks about what it was like going from being an engineer to thinking of himself as a teacher. It was fun. And I do, like you said, like it has kind of like a, there's a little bit of a statusy thing with it. Um, and I thought for a while that I enjoyed that. And then I literally started my first day. We had like some meetings before school. And in Canada, engineers, when you finish, you get an iron ring. And through all of my school, and my practicums and all of that, I still wore my iron ring. And no one really ever noticed it, mentioned it, anything like that. I get it on my very first day there. And someone's like, oh, you used to be an engineer. Because they saw the ring. And it just left like this really weird feeling in my stomach. And I was like, I don't want someone to see me and associate like, oh, that person is an engineer. I want them to see me as a really good teacher instead. I want that to be what I'm known for. And that was the last time I wore it. I got home last that night and I took it off and I put it away. I'm like, yeah, that, that's a different time. That's a different era. That's behind me. And so uh, I, what started as a, a harder decision to do that, I gladly gave up by the end of it. There, there's no like teacher ring that they give you. Uh, and so it was, it, yeah, but I just didn't want that anymore, especially when like, you know, parents of kids, you're meeting with them and then, then if they're an engineer, then it leads to different conversations. And I just, I wanted it to be about teaching, not something else. Another ingredient these three career inventors had in common is past experience that helped them both to understand more about what their new careers could be like and to develop some of the skills they ended up deploying in their new work. In other words, they were investing in themselves and building career capital for the future, sometimes deliberately and sometimes not. So I, I think the... Um the uh, hobbies or leisures we have beside work is actually very important to, to be able to reinvent y- yourself because it's where you can express yourself and, and uh, ultimately it's interesting when it, it can become uh, your new uh, passion or your new career, really. Even last year, I, I, I uh, 
took some people on mountaineering trips. And so you up the risk level compared to hiking guiding where uh, I have a certain scope of work and I cannot come out of that scope of work, which is very precise because of uh, different reasons. Um, if I wanted to... I'm just happy with this. I'm, I'm at this comfort level. I can pr um, keep doing uh, more challenging trips with for the Alpine Club as a um, you know a volunteer practice or with friends or with family. <laughs> but uh, the guiding is it's a certain scope of work. It's easy to me. It's pleasant. I mean, beautiful sceneries. Obviously, hopefully, it's not raining like every summer like this past summer, <laughs> but um, Yeah, so it it helped me by challenging myself in different trips. It um, it helped me be comfortable with uh, in a in a certain field where it's easier, kind of a thing where the, where other challenges arise. Mm -hmm. The ACMG has been uh, having a lot of people that stayed apprentice guides for a long time, and they were pushing for people to really get their full certification. To me, it was not a question like. I, in three years, I want to have it. I want to be my own boss. I want to have my own business, my own clients, my own website. You know, this is this is happening. I'm going for it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but some other people are in different circumstances in life, right? They might have a family. They might um, have other expenses and whatever life throws at you. And it's just year after year, they might not, you know, they might just be happy to hide guide part-time and for someone else, not have the responsibility of, looking for clients, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've, I've worked with kids in like a volunteer role for a number of years, but mostly, mostly high school, not uh, elementary. And uh, I was looking for a new job probably, what would that been now? Three, four years ago? Probably four years ago. Um, and we started looking And there wasn't really a whole lot in the energy industry at the time. And so I started applying to just things that I thought, I was like, I have some transferable skills to like do this job. And I'd apply to like some job, like a nonprofit doing some sort of like tech thing because I was like, well, I've worked at a software company. Maybe they'll like that. And in the end, I'd apply to, you know, an energy industry job and a nonprofit job doing something entirely different and I wouldn't want the energy job. I'd want to work for this company having some sort of positive impact. And so I said to myself, maybe you should figure out what you actually want instead of just randomly applying at every job that's out there. And so I thought about it, talked to some people. I've got uh, some close friends that are teachers and kind of came to that conclusion that it, it still lets me use what I enjoyed about the other work. Some of that creativity, uh, And kind of sharing some of my skills, interests, and experiences with kids in a way that can, you know, help them be engaged and interested and learn and um, just kind of work on some of those things. So that's that's how that started. So I, I went back to school. I uh, had a, have a very supportive wife, was, was okay with that. And uh, yeah, so two years of school later, I am officially a teacher. Okay, when I went to school and in university, we, we learned about solar and other um, possible um, energies, right? And we learned about islanding and all that other good stuff. Now, that's a, as a journeyman electrician, that's 
what I had to learn. But then I had to go back and learn that all the bracketing and different um, roofing techniques, believe it or not. Um, I'm, a, I'm an electrician, not a carpenter. <laughs> but um, way back when, I had my own roofing company, so I had a little step up on people. Talking about electricity, this episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. Park Power has low overhead, and chances are you'll save money if you switch. You can find out how much money you would save by visiting parkpower.ca and plugging your numbers into the Alberta Energy Savings Calculator. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price you pay. Learn more at parkpower.ca. For Carl and Natalie, the past experience they drew on came from recreational and volunteer pursuits. For Clark, it was having had past experience as a roofer that helped him get a stack ahead in his solar training. There's a lot of talk these days about how everybody should have a side hustle that can either turn into a potential new career or give you experience that you can tap into later. But that underestimates the value of things people do that might be purely recreational. In creating the future, a past episode on this show, Sci Futures founder Ari Popper talked about how he got the idea for his company in part through a creative writing science fiction course that he was taking, completely out of interest. Carl and Natalie both also mentioned a couple of other ingredients that helped them be successful in their career transitions. They both have supportive partners and spouses. Other career changes have also emphasized good financial planning and being able to make a change, especially one that takes some time. That brings us to experiments. Through their previous hobbies, volunteering, and past work, Carl, Natalie, and Clark were all doing experiments that allowed them to see what their next steps could look like, whether those things they were trying could fit as new careers or elements in a new career. They were finding out, too, more about what they liked and what they didn't. They were finding out what skills and talents they already had that they could apply to new roles and what they might need to build. Experiments are a great innovation tool, and they're likewise hugely useful in testing out possibilities for new work. Um, I think part of the thing was, is that like, even though I did do coding as my job, uh, I don't think I was the best at it. There was like, there's a lot of people who are way better coders and programmers than I am. I was like good enough to get by, but to do that and like the technical side of it of what I would have needed, um, to like be that I had, I was very behind what it should have been. Uh, I would say to look at everything because I definitely did that. I did, you know, those like career surveys that they make you do in high school, did some of those. Uh, When I did them in high school, none of them said to be a teacher and many of them said I should be an engineer. So um, look at those. Like I actually, I went to a career counselor uh, and talked to them and got some ideas because I kind of narrowed it down to a couple of things. It was actually, it was down to teaching or law were uh, two very different fields uh, that I narrowed it down to. And so talking with them and kind of seeing, you know, what, what do these jobs actually do? Talk to people who do both of them or, you know, whatever, however many you have, right? Talk to people, uh, see if you, you know, if you don't have a friend or maybe a friend of a friend, um, which is, you know, I actually had a friend and she knew someone who used to be an engineer and became a teacher. And so I like, you know, 
called him out of the blue. I was like, never met you, but can you tell me about this decision? And, and, uh, and actually I now know him as like a, a pretty close friend. So, uh, it just, you know, get some ideas, talk to people, um, explore what's out there and kind of just work in areas that you're passionate about. So what is it that you makes you excited about the things that you do? So if it's a hobby or something that you, you know, volunteer in or something like that, what is it about that that makes you want to do that? And where can you do that in a job? Carl's reflections on reinventing his work show more of the internal ingredients, as well as the logistical steps that he and the other reinventors took to get to their new careers. They did a lot of thinking and investigating and understanding what makes themselves tick, and then pursued new lines of work that aligned with those things. That's a lot in line with Mela Bahrain's findings. She's a career coach and a former student dean at Columbia Business School, and she'll be a guest next month on this show, and she'll chat in more detail on this topic. She did her doctorate studying a group of Americans who lost their jobs in the 2008 crash. In a 2019 Forbes interview with Diane Mulcahy, a business professor and author of The Gig Economy, who'll also be on the show next month, she outlined what differentiated people who were able to fall forward after a career setback during the crisis compared to people who went back more or less to the status quo or who got stuck in making a transition. The things she found the most successful group had in common were both actions they took and things that changed their ideas and thinking. Number one, they had a growth mindset about being able to change what they did for work. They believed it was possible for them to do something new. Second, they used their networks to understand their own skills and talents better. They asked people in their networks what they did especially well, when they shone the kinds of places they thought they would do well working in, very much in line with what Carl did in talking to people in his network and talking especially to people who were already teachers. Number three, the most successful reinventors rebalanced their working lives by making work not the most important thing in their lives. They invested in themselves by cultivating skills in, in other areas like learning a new language, traveling, or volunteering, also similar to what the three guests on this show have done. Fourth, they had a reflective practice that might not look the same from person to person. Some of them journaled, meditated, exercised, went to counseling, or somewhere to explore and experiment with ideas. Those people she found were able to own their own expertise and be clear about their skills and strengths, where they could add value, where other people called on them for skills and advice outside of their specific job role. Finally, the successful reinventors carried out experiments, which is exactly what the guests on this show have done. Sometimes they had a side gig or something they wanted to see if it could become a side gig, to see what worked, what didn't, what they were good at, and they built on the data they gathered. That's exactly what Natalie has done over many years in trying out and building skills in different mountain sport disciplines so that she can figure out what she likes, how to get better at those things, and how to approach that skill building. Even her current role as a hiking guide is a step toward that. Natalie also had some thoughts about one more ingredient that she found was missing, but really useful for part of her reinvention. It relates to networks. You know what, what helps uh, is mentorship. And I can't say I had a lot of it, right? You, you go on a website, you see um, when courses are, how much it is. It's all very like electronic until you, you uh, do that week. It's 10 days of training and exam in the bush. We're never on a trail. And then the community welcomes you as, a, as an apprentice hiking guide. And so then you're invited to potlucks and things like that. But before that, it seems something is a little bit lacking of... I've, I've asked people that have the certification, right? I've, I've asked Jenna, I've asked, how did you do this? Like, 
you know, tell me. And she gave me the information. I went online. I looked for information and I, and I built that, uh, the prerequisites to get to where I wanted to be. And so I would say mentorship, maybe something that, that could be a, a better um, way to really uh, be successful. What kinds of things can mentors help with? They would know the market. They would know the opportunities. They, they would tell you how they went through some hard times. They would guide you on how to build your resume, what to do. Mm-hmm. Not having mentors or other people in our networks who've gone before us into a new role can definitely make it a steeper, longer, maybe more expensive road to figuring out how to actually make that new career happen and understand its good, bad, and ugly sides if it's not something you can directly see or figure out on your own. The mentors can be people who've already been where we want to go or people who are knowledgeable about it. They come in the form of advisors, formal and informal, peers, career coaches, etc., Other complications can happen when we get stuck on the internal steps to make a change or in being able to complete the actions needed to make it happen. Some things just might be outside our control. As individuals, we can do a lot. We are, though, also working within larger frameworks, economic, social, political environments around us that can constrain or promote what we do. Natalie talks about the disconcerting, scary feeling of moving from a comfortable role into something new and uncertain. Being able to make that jump or reduce our anxiety around it or the level of uncertainty around it to a level that we can handle needs to happen for reinvention. And it's where a lot of us can get stuck, staying in roles we're not crazy about through fear of what a new step could mean, and too focused on the things we might lose from it rather than a realistic assessment of the risk we're taking, our preparedness to meet those risks, and what we can gain from doing it. Clark, meanwhile, is seeing challenges in the external environment around his business, the readiness, the ability, and the perception of the market on whether it makes sense for them to switch from the status quo to solar power right now. Yeah, there's a, well, there's a wish, right? There's a wanting, and yet there's a lot of unknown because uh, it's a change again, it's, and you fear the change, and and you talk to other people, and the and it's the unknown, right? And and you are in that secure place where financially you're supported and you have to jump off this to uh, become your own boss kind of a thing. And first you're an apprentice, so you still depend on a supervisor. And so there's a lot of unknowns and, and a lot of uh, things you dis- discover as you go, really. Mm-hmm. And Alberta is one of the prime locations for sun, um, just for the... The shine on on Alberta, like um, there's certain places in the world that the sun doesn't like that much, but Alberta, we're we're lucky. We get like up in the Sierra Desert <laughs> amount of sunshine. We're actually quite lucky, but um, you need customers for that to work. <laughs> and right now, nobody seems to trust the the new solar or. I also have wind turbine, gas. There's other other things that we, I've been looking at, but yeah, um, it's just been a go at it for you get people to understand that this is this is the wave of the future, and we gotta all stick together, and nobody's really doing it, and there's nobody's having the money to do it with either. So it's it's catch twenty two everywhere. It's possible that could change in the future. And despite challenges, all three of the reinventors in this episode are looking forward positively to where their new roles could lead. In the future, they say they could be doing almost anything. Where they are now is just the beginning. Here's the best advice for other people looking to creatively reinvent their work. Especially now in teaching, I feel like there's even more than when 
I was a kid more than 10 years ago. There's so many like different paths. Schools have different philosophies and approaches and some are really experimental in, you know, in a lot of what they do. And there's some that are very like formulated and rigid. And I would like to be in a, a way that I can, can give kids that way of learning that can, they can take with them. And so to make them as best prepared for their lives as possible. So uh, if that means, you know, for some of them, that's relational or personal, uh, being able to, you know, become the people that they need to be to have to build some of those skills up or to, you know, learn things that they wouldn't learn or learn a different way to learn. Um, and, you know, where that takes me, who knows? Um, I, you know, not, not going to say no to any opportunities and just looking at what's, what's ahead. So. Well, you've got to know the market. You've got to know your audience. You've got to know that there is a market and there is an audience for what you want to do. Uh, you can't just start by uh, selling chickpeas if nobody wants to eat chickpeas. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, support yourself with uh, with people that do it. Ask ask around and uh, and maybe ask for mentorship too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not... It's not easy for people to become mentors. Not everybody has the time or the ability or the skills, uh, but it's it's a, it would be a good thing. So really, scope the market, um, yeah, and and have a backup plan and have financial backup. You can't, uh, yeah, it's a big thing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just don't listen to anybody. Um, put your head down, and if you have an idea and you think it's worth your time, then you go and go hard don't don't look back don't just do it because in the end you'll be a better person for at least trying that's it for this two-part episode on reinventing from oil and gas a huge thanks to guests carl natalie and clark for generously sharing their experiences if you're interested in checking out carl's podcast you can find it on twitter at fourthline podcast and also at fourthlinepodcast.com you can find natalie's new outdoor business at natsadventuretravels.ca or through email at natsadventuretravels at gmail.com you can find Clark's solar and electrical business, Meisner Electrical Contractor, on Facebook or through Clark Bull Meisner, M-I-S-N-E-R, at gmail.com. Join us next time for an episode with travel podcaster Mark Philpot, who lives and broadcasts from a boat off the Australian coast. He's had a cross-pollinating corporate career in logistics, pivoting to social enterprise, and he's now planning a new adventure, traveling by boat through the Great Loop in the U.S. and Canada. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, we always appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. See you next time.